0: This is a message from the ministry of the International Baptist Church of Debrecen. For more information about our church, visit ibcdebrecen.com. Now, our goal this afternoon is to get a more accurate picture of Jesus. And to do this, as I said, I take you to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And by the way, it's not Revelations, it's Revelation. Okay, so, and we're going to practice this, uh, this afternoon even more. So, in the very first chapter of the book of uh, the Apostle John had a vision where he encountered the living Christ. And we are, going, we are going to go to this first chapter. So, when I ask you to open your Bible, we're going to read the whole chapter. And we're going to look at some of the key points from this, uh, this chapter. So, Revelation 1, starting with verse 1. Grace, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all the people on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theathera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches churches okay stop there if you will so that's that's our text for today now verse 9 tells us that John was on the island of Patmos, which was a small island located in the Aegean Sea, and I think we have a map uh, of that up here. Yes, well, it's not the best quality, but the island of Patmos is just down here. Uh, So this is modern-day Turkey, like the western shore of the country, and you have Greece over here, and you have the island of Patmos just down here, and that line is just uh, pretty much the the, the way you would get through all these churches, these seven churches that are mentioned later. But the, the main thing is that this little island was a, pretty much a barren island. Like there was nothing. Uh, pretty much the only thing that you can find there was rock. And uh, that's what we read in verse 9, that John is there. Now, most likely, he was there as, uh, as some sort of punishment related to his beliefs as a follower of Christ. We read that, actually John says that he's there because of his belief uh, in Christ, you know, some have suggested that this island, this uh, Patmos, was some kind of a penal colony. Think Alcatraz, you know, in the States, or how Australia uh, was used by the British Empire way back. So, something like that. But others believe that it was a form of a punishment, but it was a, it was a light punishment. Think of minimum security prison with, uh, that some white-collar criminals are sentenced to for easy time. Either way, John was experiencing some measure of persecution for following Christ. That's clear, we can see that. Now, John, here on this island, has a vision. And he described his vision of Christ using some really bold imagery. And we can see that in verses 14 to 16, he says, he describes Jesus this way. He says, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance now this this is a this is a pretty this is a pretty heavy image and john sees this john sees christ in his you know all of his glory and in verse 17, he says, when I saw him, I felt though as I was dead. John became lifeless before the Lord. And this, this uh, scene here, to me, is, it's pretty surprising. Actually, it's pretty stunning, because think about this. John knew Jesus, and he had a close relationship with him. He was a disciple, after all. And not just a disciple, he was in the inner circle of the three disciples, which was Peter, James, and John. He sat next to Jesus during the Last Supper. He followed with Peter to the place where Jesus was uh, put on trial. He stood with Jesus and the cross and was told by Jesus to care for his mother. He with with Peter, they ran to the empty tomb, and John calls himself, himself in his gospel the disciple that Jesus loved. So doesn't it seem a little odd? The way that John responds to Jesus, I think it does. I mean, we might, we might have expected John to, to, I don't know, to maybe hug him or shake his hand or, I don't know, even just a high-five. but instead, he fell on his face, terrified and overwhelmed by the glory and majesty of Christ. Now this, this is a powerful reminder that Jesus, in his fullest nature, is greater than anything that our earthly mind can imagine now i really love this part because john sees all of this and he fell falls on his face as a dead person but in his account we see something amazing we see jesus coming and putting his hand, his hand on john and he says do not be afraid and i just love this it's so amazing it is it is similar, you know, to a friend coming and, and just giving you a hug or, or putting their arms around you in a crisis and saying, it's okay, we'll get through this, don't be afraid. And Jesus extended comfort to John and explained that we should not be afraid either. Now later, Jesus underscores some important truths about Jesus. And the first one is that he is the eternal God. Now the first thing that Jesus says if you look at uh, with me again at the the chapter in verse 17, is that he is the first and the last. Now that's pretty interesting, because even before that, in the chapter, earlier in verse 8, we read that the Lord God said, I am the Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now these two things, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, are pretty much the same thing. They are identical. Because uh, this, this phrase, Alpha and Omega, it's a, uh, it's, uh, well, I don't know the scientific term, but it's pretty much, uh, uh, when you want to compare something, again, it's saying the same thing, right? It means first and last, because Alpha uh, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Uh, brush up a little bit on your Greek here. And Omega is the last uh, letter of the Greek alphabet. So what the Lord God is saying in verse 8, He says he's the uh, Alpha and Omega. Jesus repeats that, and now we know that it's Jesus who's saying that, that he's the first and the last. So Jesus says there is nothing before him, and there will be nothing after him. Life begins and ends with him. He is the eternal God, and time is under his authority. Now, you know, today people will proclaim that Jesus Jesus was, he was God's representative, you know. They say he taught us about God. They say he was a prophet of God. However, they stop short of saying he is God. Some even, some even say that Jesus never intended, never intended for people to think about him as God. Well the notion of that was, you know, the result of some overzealous followers. But I think they are wrong. There are several reasons why we believe that Jesus was God. First, Jesus himself claimed to be God. I mean, he told us that he and the Father were one. I mean, that's as clear as it can get. Jesus met with Moses and Elijah in the Transfiguration. He was constantly talking about his need to fulfill prophecy and the right timing for things to happen. Now, second, Jesus acted like God. He claimed the power to forgive sin, which was so outrageous for the Jews at that time that they wanted to kill him right away when he said it. Because they knew, the Jews knew, that that's something only God can do. And not just that, but he had also, he evidenced that he has authority over demons. He had power over nature, you know. Just think about how he multiplied the loves of of bread, or how he walked on water, or how he calmed the storm. He also healed people with devastating illnesses. He taught as one who had authority and spoke as one giving eternal love. Now third, which is really crucial, he rose from the dead. And the early church, you know, the early followers of Jesus, they challenged people to talk to eyewitnesses. I mean, the early church, what their strategy was not not believe what I say, But go and talk to those people who have actually seen him raised, because it's true, you can believe them. They were eyewitnesses. That's what the foundation of the early church was built on. Eyewitnesses, facts, evidence, reality, not a story, not imagination. They dared them to check the facts, because Jesus really did come back from the grave. Now, you know, science, science tells us that gravity exists. And, And that's pretty evident, you know, from our everyday life all around us. If, if you drop something, you know, it falls to the ground. That's, that's how it works. And logically, we should believe in the existence of gravity. But suppose there are some folks, some people, and today it's not that difficult to uh, imagine that there are people like that, who declare that gravity is a myth. You know, perhaps they, they make claims that gravity is just an invention of science designed to explain unseen mysteries. Maybe they say only the weak-minded need a crutch like gravity. Well, let me ask you, do you think these comments nullify the law of gravity? Does it diminish the power of gravity? Well, I think we have to say no on both of these counts. Gravity is true regardless of how you feel. I mean, it doesn't matter how sincerely you believe gravity doesn't exist. If you seek to prove your point by stepping off the roof of a building, Your sincere belief will not keep you from experiencing the consequences of gravity. The same is true with Jesus. You may claim he is not God. You may truly believe he is not God. Well, it will not change the reality of who he is or the consequences of resisting. him. Now, the second thing that Jesus underlines about himself is that he is the living Savior. The second thing that Jesus says to John was I am the living one. I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever. That's what sayth Now it is important first to recognize and remember that no other religious leader can say this. Right? I mean Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Bahu Allah the founder of the Bahai faith or 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 uh, Mary Baker Eddy or L. Ron Hubbard of the Scientology, none of them can say, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And if you have two people offering you to take a flight in a plane, would you choose some, to fly with someone who have read books about flying or a person who had actually flown? If something goes wrong you, with the power at your home, and you had a choice between hiring someone who had read a great deal about electricity or the person who who had been an electrician for 20 years, who would you invite? If you had a coaching vacancy and had to choose between the person who enjoyed, you know, watching the sport and watching the games on television, and the one who had experience playing the game, who would you choose? The answers are obvious and along the same line. If you wanted to know about eternity and had the choice between following the person who wrote books, you know, on what they believed was beyond the grave and the person who had died and risen from the grave three days after, who would you listen to? Now, second, notice that Jesus died. He said that he was dead. He's the living Savior, but he's also the crucified Savior. He lived as we do, and he faced trials and temptations the same way we do, and he was crucified. He understands our lives, and the spotless lamb of God was crucified to pay the price of our sinfulness. He died as a substitute, and he faced the wrath of God on our behalf. But, third, which is I think the most important part of this whole thing, is that he came back to life he did not stay dead and paul you know he says in first corinthians chapter 15 that the resurrection of jesus is the cornerstone of the christian faith in fact paul said that if the resurrection didn't really happen then christians are deceived i mean if the resurrection is not true we're just fools fooling ourselves and fooling everyone around us You know, they they believe that they are forgiven. They believe they will live even though they die. They believe there's a place prepared for them. And without the resurrection, it is just imaginative words of a man who died before his time. And John knew that these things were true from personal experience. Not just because someone told him, He experienced these things. He was a witness to the incredible life and power of Jesus. He saw sick people being healed. The bread multiplied. The storm calmed. The demons flee. He saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. He saw the Son of God suffer and die on the cross. He saw the empty tomb and he talked with the resurrected Savior. So Jesus reminded John that we worship a living Savior. We do not worship the teachings of our leader, we worship the leader himself. Now the third one, the third thing that Jesus uh, points out to John here is that he is the one to whom all are accountable. Now lastly, Jesus said that he holds the keys to death and Hades. And, um, you know, pretty much that means that Jesus is the one who is the steward of eternity. And the fact that he has the keys means that he is the one who has authority. He has the power over our eternal destiny. He has the authority to unlock death and Hades. Now, these two things um, might confuse you if you are not pretty familiar with them, but Hades and hell are sometimes used interchangeably in the Bible. Hades actually is not a place of, uh, of eternal torment, which... Sometimes we often call hell, because in Revelation 20 we are told that there is a coming day when death and Hades will be thrown in the lake of fire, which is the second death, or hell. Now, Hades Hades is a a place where the souls, uh, or the lost souls, await the day of judgment. We also read this in in, uh, Revelation 20. And before the resurrection of Jesus, uh, everyone went to Hades, which in the Old Testament was called Sheol, and they died. Now when Christ arose from the dead, all those who believed in the promise of God, all those who had put their trust in the coming Messiah, were led from Hades into paradise. And remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross, when you know the thief uh, expressed uh, his, his sinfulness and pretty much showed repentance. Jesus said that tonight you will be with me in paradise. So that's what Jesus was talking about. So, if you will, Jesus unlocked the door so these people could be with the Lord until the day Christ returns, judgment is dispensed, and our bodies are resurrected to live on the new heaven and earth. Now, why does this matter? Well, because the person who has the keys can has access and can grant access to others. The person with the keys to, let's say, a local cafe can open it up for friends after hours. A person who has the keys to the movie theater can invite friends for a private viewing of a film. The person with the key to a stadium can invite their friends to play on the field. Since Jesus holds the key to death and Hades, he can open the door to you so that you can live in paradise when you die. So, If we put all these things together, there are some things that we should learn. We need to recognize uh, that we, like John, have a narrow and diminished view of Christ. We, we, We cannot even start to grasp his eternal greatness, his glory, his majesty. And as we begin to learn about him, several things happen. First, we recognize that he is worthy of worship. There's a scene in Revelation 5 where we read what kind of worship he receives in heaven. In verse 12, he is being offered this worship. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So we bow before him because he is worthy of worship and praise. And we see the shamefulness of our own sin as it's contrasted, not with those around us, like we usually do, but is compared with the perfection of the Son of God. And we begin to see how far Jesus had to humble himself in order to take the form of a man so he could be our Redeemer. We are filled with a great sense of gratitude. And because of this, you know, we can face life with confidence. Like John We no no longer need to fear. We no longer need to fear life. And that's not an easy thing, but with Jesus it's possible. And I understand that life can get scary a lot of times. You know, the economy is shaky, jobs are fragile, terrorists uh, threaten everyone, and every news report warns us of cancer risks. We can't help but fear life. However, when we understand that time is in God's hand, when we realize that Jesus is supreme over all, we can learn to say with Keith Getty and Stuart Townend who were uh, some amazing Christian musicians from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I will stand. So life is not out of control. Things are not aimless. He has a purpose for the events that seem to, you know, pull you like the undertow of a wave. The first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega is still on the throne. And He will lead us, protect, defend us, and someday will lead us to take the place that He has prepared for us. And this, this is not just some. Uh, positive thinking, it's not just a mantra that we tell ourselves to feel better when we are, you know, not, not in the mood. It is a reasoned conclusion from the evidence of his life, death, and resurrection. Now, something else that we can learn is that Jesus has been where we are. He has lived our lives, and he is not a God who sits in an ivory tower, removed from the trials and stress of our lives. It's not like that. He has been here, he has overcome, and he can help us to do the same. You can hang on to him, because he will certainly be hanging on to you. Bill Gator, another Christian artist, is right when he says, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Now, there's also no need for, to fear death, because Jesus died, yes, but he lives again. And because of this, we can be sure of several things that take away the sting of death. First is that God loves us. The sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient to pay the penalty of our sin. The resurrection boldly declares that the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to take care of our debt of sin, everything. And we are no longer enemies of God, but we are children of God. We can also be sure that there is a life beyond the grave. Life does not end with death. Life does not end at the grave. Jesus died and he came back from the dead. He tells us that those who trust in him will also live, even though they die. And we can believe his testimony because he has shown it, that it's true. And although in all honesty, we might still be anxious about the process of becoming dead, I mean... Let's be honest, that's a scary thought. We no longer need to fear death. Jesus has conquered the grave. And because of that, we don't need to fear eternity either. I mean, I know it is one thing to know that there's a life beyond the grave, but it is another to know uh, whether you, you will face God's mercy, which is heaven, or God's wrath, which is hell. Jesus holds the key of death and eternal life. And the Bible says, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If you have placed your trust in Christ, if you have seriously committed to become his follower, then you will, as he promised, be forgiven and live in the recreated, perfect world, world that God will make for his followers. We will be reunited with loved ones, and we will be rewarded for our faithful acts. However, the flip side is also true. If you're hoping to get into heaven by some other way, you will be frustrated because the, do- because the door will be locked. Your so-called good deeds won't unlock the door. Your religious devotion will not unlock the door. If you, if you put your hope in anything but Christ, you will, uh, you will find yourself on the wrong side of heaven. You will face God's judgment because you have ignored the only way of salvation that God has provided for you. Jesus alone holds the keys. So in this Sunday, may I be a little blunt with you and ask this question. Do you see the real Jesus? Do you see him as he truly is? Or have you created a Jesus in your mind? that is as real as the Easter bunny or Santa Claus. Take some time this Sunday and even this week to make sure that you are seeing him clearly. Make sure you are building on the right foundation, the foundation that will stand through any storm and lead us to life beyond the grave. And our challenge today is to see past all these images of Jesus created by the world, uh, whether good or bad, our images and concepts of god cannot save us only the resurrected and living jesus can do that let us pray lord jesus we give you the praise that you deserve because you are amazing you're an awesome god you are powerful and we are just so thankful that you have prepared a way for us we ask you that you would work in our hearts you would you would help us to see Help us to see you for who you are, the amazing creator God who created everything, including us. Help us to see your heart. Help us to see how you loved us and how you loved everyone that you were willing to come to take on the form of a a human and to die suffering death. Help us to see that and help us to share in your love that you have for others and help us to love those around us. Help us to to be truly salt and light, and as Roman uh, just shared, help us to strive for peace with people around us, and help us to love them the way you have loved them, Jesus. Thank you so much that we can have trust in you because your your words are yes, and your words are amen. So we know that we can count on you, and we can put you, we can put our trust in you. We praise you for that. We worship you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and your time today. If your curiosity has been piqued and you'd like to learn more about our church and the work we do, please feel free to visit our website at ibcdebretson.com. Better yet, we warmly invite you to join us in person and experience our community firsthand. We look forward to welcoming you